Did you say the did you say the URL for the episode? Notes? I did. It was earlier. Oh, okay. Edward's going to edit this all together, or he'll just leave it like this, and it'll be embarrassing, and people will see what, what fools this we is, are. This is the sausage being made, people. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody. This is the giant robots smashing into other giant robots podcast. It is Friday, March fifteenth. My name is Ben Ornstein. I'm here today with the CEO of Chad Pytel. How's hey. it going? Good. Good. So, stuff. This is my. I, I, I'm entering the the uh, multiple guest or multiple. Uh, you have now actually been on the podcast more than anybody else. Really? Are you? Not, aren't you at three? Oh, actually, Joe. No, might. Joe beat. Joe has me. Beat. Yeah, Joe's got you beat. Well, the C level of Thoughtbot is well represented in the <laughs> in the podcast. Uh, we wouldn't have it any other way. This is this is how we talk to the people. <laughs> <laughs> to the plebes i uh i i don't know are we still whatever i don't know I don't if this know. is content or not edward you decide if this is interesting so i emailed so i went to five guys the other day right and uh we were talking about this and they have a crazy process like i the throughput they get of total burgers per hour is totally insane during the lunch rush and i said to you half joking like oh we should totally get some five guys person on the podcast um, and actually we're going to try to do that. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to work on it, but you started, you started it. Yeah. So I tweeted uh, at them and they responded with an email address and I sent an email and we'll see. I would love to get, I would love that. Yeah. I, I think there are probably actually a lot of interesting like business processy people that we could have on. Yeah. That would be appealingly. I don't think smart. so. I, I was thinking about it. I'm not sure that every five guys has that same hmm. process because I went to a five guys like in the middle, like you know, some city I was in at a conference or something like that. Yeah. And it was clearly not set up the the same way. It's just like a counter with one guy making some burgers behind it. And it wasn't in a place where I would expect that there would be a huge l- r- uh, lunch rush. Interesting. So I, I, I would have thought with like a franchise like that, that's like half the value. Yeah. Like the processes. Are and maybe place. I just didn't see it. Maybe it's, you know, maybe I, I misunderstood it. Hey. You got your burger though, right? I did, and it was uh, t- delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say something. Not that it wasn't good, but I. But if we want them on the show, we have to be. Oh, uh, we have to be really nice. That's like, right. It was the best burger I ever had. There you go. You should really come on our podcast and you talk really, about you your really process. Sh- you really should. I'm actually interested. This is the first organization that will be like would give us a representative. And so I'm wondering right. if they're going to have all kinds of like marketing demands. Like we want to know the questions. We want final sign off. We want to hear the editing, blah, blah, blah. And we're just going to say no. Right. Cause that's what we do. Right. People always want the questions. Yeah. But we don't give them. We have a new page now though. That sets expectations. That, is, is that out? Oh yeah, it is. Oh, nice. It's just on, it's a public backpack page, but it's just, a, so you're going to be a guest on the Thoughtbot yeah. podcast. And number one's like, no, you can't have the questions. <laughs> I'm just going to talk to you. <sighs> I kind of want some dinner, some lunch now. Yeah. I kind of feel like, like, yeah, like a burger maybe. <laughs> Sounds good. Sort of cow product between bread. So how are you today? I'm good. Yeah. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you too. Oh, thanks. So Ruby science just broke a thousand readers. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. awesome. I, I didn't really realize until <laughs> we looked it up. Uh, but yeah, it just broke a thousand. So we're at 1003 readers. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that we've had a thousand purchases necessarily because we have a company license that gives people, uh, everyone in your company access. So, but it's, it's actually pretty close cause the, um, uh, 
the percentage of company purchases i think is like five percent something like that yeah it's so i've been i've been doing a fair amount of pull reviewing for this Mm -hmm. um so i've had some free time the last couple weeks and it's pretty awesome like i've I've wanted the chance to copy joe ferris's brain for a while right and that's kind of what's happening yeah i i sort of you know i don't want to it's really good. It, it is. is really it's really good. good is the thing. <laughs> so, like, yeah, this is this episode runs the risks of, risk of being one big advertisement, but uh, it's actually a series really good. of small advertisements. Yes, yeah, yeah, with occasional useful content. Yeah, you know, I thought not to Rails anti patterns was pretty good. We had a lot of really positive feedback for that. This is and, the book that you published a couple of years ago. Yeah, it was Tamer. right when Rails three came out. It was when it was published. So. That would have been a couple of years ago with Tamer. And that was really positively received. I thought it was very good. I think this is better. Mm. Um, it's, a, it's a different kind of book. You know, the, the Rails Antipatterns was saying, here's some common things we see done wrong, and here's how you would fi- fix it. And it was very pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Um, this tends to be a little bit more theoretical, but is still, I think, just the right amount of pragmatism yeah and, and, or and, practicality yeah and i think the format is cool because it's sort of it's broken down into sections and one of them is smells mm-hmm. so it's like just first here's how you identify that there may be problems with code and here are the, the implications that maybe that you should consider if you if you notice the smell yeah and then there's also a solutions section which is okay you've you've identified that this is a smell and it's a smell you want to fix here's how you actually take the steps yeah and the nice thing is there's all um there's real code behind it Right. So we've been, there's basically in parallel. So Joe has been developing this application and then he'll add a feature and sort of inter- intentionally introduce a smell and then talk about the smell and then do the refactoring. And so you can watch the smell develop through the commits and also watch it get fixed and refactored away. Yeah. And a lot of it comes from the actual work that we've done in the past. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, he's going from memory. Like we wrote this and it had these problems and then he's, he's redoing it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And, and the app is based on a real client app that we've mm-hmm. done. So yeah, it's, it's very real world. I, the, de- the decorators chapter is what really sort of hammered home that idea mm-hmm. for me. Like I finally really understood it after that mm-hmm. journey and it was a bit of a, a bit of a haul. But when I got there, I was like, ah, okay. Yeah. It's good. So when we were developing the concept of Ruby science, we went back and forth on the format quite a bit. We weren't sure whether it should be more recipe based or, you know, how those smells and those solutions should be mixed together. Mm-hmm. And we ended up uh, going for it's actually quite separate. Um, right. And I think it's working well. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, so that's one of our books. Yeah. We're also, uh, you were saying that you think we probably have the repo with the most people in an organization associated with it on github yeah i I don't know that for sure yeah i think we should throw it out there and see if anybody can beat it yes so we have 2600 and what is it four Four. uh people on the backbone readers team yeah and so that's probably the largest team on github i bet yeah i bet there are bigger teams but i bet they're on like the github fire or enterprise edition yeah no um but if you can beat that number Get in Let touch. us know. Although it's private, so I guess we can't prove it without adding somebody. So yeah, if you add us to yours, we'll add you to ours, and yeah. we'll see who wins. Well, if you buy the book, you get access to the repo, so uh, you can buy the book, and then you'll see that the number is true. Giant advertisements <laughs> smashing into other <laughs> giant advertisements. 
Um, yeah, let's, but so that's how we've been uh, publishing our books is they, they are a GitHub repos. Yeah. Um, which uh, we originally just started. And the, the advantage behind this was like, well, we want to write this book maybe, but no one will, maybe no one will buy it. Right. So we created a repo and started selling access to the repo and say, hey, we're writing this book. If, you, if you're interested in being part of the process, you can jump on board. Mm. Um, but now, even though the book is done and been edited and published, um, we still sell access to the repo because it's nice to be able to submit issues and pull requests and things like that. Yeah, and get changes um, and see, right. see changes as we work them. I don't think very many people, and this is actually something I think we could do a little bit better job on, the the pub you know the the readers actually can see all of the branches that we're working in so as joe is working on something new for ruby science he's doing it in a branch Mm -hmm. and in theory the readers can even see that progression Mm -hmm. um but we don't like tell them about it very much so they're not seeing it unless they're watching the repo yeah you have to be fairly dedicated i guess or really dying for the new content but you know we we when we come up with the idea for a new book it's a big undertaking and that was, so it wasn't like we would, once we got to the point where we would actually announced it, that we would stop, but it was a great way to, to be convince ourselves that we were on the right track mm-hmm. by pre-selling access to it. Totally. We always wrote for both Backbone and Ruby Science, we wrote, uh, the table of contents, uh, had a good vision for what the book was going to be, and then wrote at least one chapter before we got started. Mm-hmm. Um, so that not only so that we could launch with something, but so that we could crystallize in our own mind what it actually was going to be before mm-hmm. publishing. I've heard whispers of what the next book might be. Yeah. I don't think we should commit to it, but right. uh, I think the thought right now is that, the, so Joe has been bumping into a lot of um, how do I test this and testing principles that felt a little bit out of scope for this book, but I think that's probably going to be the focus of the next one. I think so. I, I, I think... You know, we tend not to pronounce stuff at all, but if we don't write a testing, it's like a shame if we don't write a testing book. <laughs> right. I mean, we're, we're the, you know, we're, we're the original authors of Shoulda. Uh, we, we do test-driven development 100% of the time and factory go, right. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say they do test-driven development, and, but it, they don't really do it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we can provide a lot of guidance there. I think even people that do it, it's, there's still just a lot of principles and things to know about and right. like tricky scenarios. Like test code is hard to write. Right. It's, it's hard to write it really well and tests don't have tests. So right. it's even more important to get them right. Right. And you know, ex- exactly what the content of the book might be. I don't know. I sort of like the idea of like the comprehensive testing Bible or encyclopedia. Mm. So, um, like even like, you know, maybe the framework doesn't matter. Maybe we show how to do what we're talking about mm. in every single major framework mm. uh, and just have it be just this enormous thing. <laughs> These are the commitments of a guy who's probably not going to write it. <laughs> it should just be like 10,000 pages. And that would be awesome. <laughs> right. From a revenue point of view, depends what you're optimizing for. It will cost a dollar per page. <laughs> I was, Yeah. I interviewed Brian Helmkamp last week and he's yeah. telling me that I can't remember. I don't actually know if this is in the podcast or if it was us chatting afterwards, but he uh-huh. was saying that he has a big enterprise level competitor. And at the level of that code analysis tools, they charge you by the line of code. <laughs> so it's like six cents per line of code. It's like, okay, That's well we awesome. see you got 600,000 lines this month. So here's your bill. 
That's awesome. So maybe we should charge uh, for our books by the word. <laughs> I'm not sure that that's the right incentive to be placing on us or our customers. Think of how many words we could write, though. Yeah. We'd be so good at that. Uh, so we've also been... It's now been... How long has it been since we launched online workshops? Um, I, we did it at the in the fall. Okay. That was so, the first one? Yeah. Yeah. And so now we just announced yesterday that Intermediate Rails, which was our last course not to be online, is, mm-hmm. is now online. And people can register. Uh, the, the first session starts April 1st. Yeah. So these are all online versions of existing courses that are, are actually still in-person workshops that we give. But now yeah. they are. Yeah. You can take them online yeah. remotely. And I, we talked about this a little bit on like the yearly recap show, mm-hmm. but um, it is the same content, but we, we for the online version, um, it's spread out over the course of a month. Mm-hmm. And that was something that we did to really try to make the course as valuable as possible and translate it into online. So the in-person version lasts two days. It's very intensive. And uh, because there are certain limitations to it being only two days, the main one being if you don't know Ruby or Rails at all um, or and you don't know web development at all, you can't take our intro to Rails course. Um, you need to be a fairly experienced you know PHP or Java, you know some other framework developer to come in and get an intro to Rails course in two days and leave it you know in a really great spot, actually mm-hmm. being able to perform with Rails. Mm-hmm. And we felt pretty strongly that. Um, that wouldn't necessarily work. It, not only do people not want to sit in front of a computer for two days straight, mm. listening t- to one of us talk, um, that it didn't work for people's like lives, and it probably wouldn't be as effective in teaching them. Right. So, so there's an advantage in the online version where if you need to go off and learn stuff and do homework type things, right. you have that ability. Right. As right. opposed to if you show up in person and you don't know it, there's not really a chance. Like your, your days are booked solid and unless you want to go back to like your hotel room at night and try to cram something in there. Right. You're kind of just where you are. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so it's a huge advantage. Even though it's the same core content, it mm-hmm. is a big advantage to the online version, I think. And that, that was kind of like a cool surprise to me because at, at first I was thinking, you know, how, do, how are we going to do these online workshops and have them be as good as the in-person? Mm-hmm. But I think it actually has turned into a bit of a strength. Like there can be substantial advantages to doing them that way. Right. So yeah. That's cool. Um, how have the teachers been feeling about online versus in-person? I think they like it. The The biggest thing is the lack of visibility into mm-hmm. how people are doing. Mm-hmm. So, and, and engaging the class. So when you're doing the in-person workshop, you're up in front of the room, you're engaging the class, you know, whether people are following along and getting it. Mm-hmm. And with the online version, you lack that. And so when people don't show up, so at the, on every Friday we hold office hours. Mm-hmm. If one of the students doesn't show up for the office hours, we don't know whether they're, uh, in, not engaged in the class or whether they, you know, got like hit by a bus or whatever, you know, they're just not there and we don't know why. Yeah. And we really care about making these workshops as great as they can be. And so we really are worried, especially since we're just getting started with them, mm-hmm. that making sure that they are great. And so if people are disengaging from, from it, uh, we want to fix that. Mm-hmm. It'd be a challenge. Um, 
So we've also recently just launched a new thing that has been kind of in the works for a little while. Yep. Our next giant advertisement. <laughs> uh, so we launched something called Prime. That's right. Uh, which is basically subscription access to everything that we do and teach. Yes. So we've been selling our workshops and our ebooks and our screencasts uh, all this time uh, f- individually, piecemeal. And we have been sort of knocking this idea around for a while and then finally figured out a way to make it work. And we're charging uh, a flat rate, $100 a month and $99 a month where it's better. <laughs> and you get access to everything. Yep. Um, and you work on this too. I do. This is something that you've been working on. I'm asking questions in the answer <laughs> format. <laughs> I just like, I say a thing that's true and then add an uh at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and you just elaborate. But yeah. when I say we, I mean we, like yeah. the you and I, yeah. the non-royal we. Right. Yeah. Um, it's going well so far. It is. And, uh, and I'm really excited about this possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not only for things like Ruby Science and all that stuff, it, it's a, it is an ongoing project. Mm-hmm. It's continually updated and all that stuff. And a subscriber gets access to that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, if you go to the Prime page, we, we make this part of the pitch, too, that, like, you know, the workshops we've been giving cost $1,000. They're actually $1,099. That's not accessible to everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that this is the way that we can take the, 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 the great workshops that we're doing and make them more accessible to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, people that I talk to this, people I tell this idea to say, you're giving away $1,000 workshops for $100 a month. What, aren't people just going to take the workshops and like kind of run with the money? And... Our, our response to that so far has been like, maybe? Right. We'll see. Like, there, there, probably, there probably will be a handful of people that would have paid $1,000 for a workshop that will do a month or two of this and then leave. And so we'll sort of have lost some money there. We're hoping that by opening up these awesome workshops to way more people at a much more affordable price, we're going to more than make up for that difference. Yeah. Plus, we're working hard to make sure that the only value here isn't just like workshops and then you get nothing. Right. So we're... You know, constantly working on Ruby Science. We've got more books in the works, and then also a private blog as well, where we're right. publishing sort of more useful articles to people. And the goal is sort of trying to be useful all the time. Like every week, new stuff is hitting there and, and right. being being interesting. We also have a campfire chat room for all subscribers. That's right. Um, so people can uh, get onto that chat room with us, and we're in there. Basically, um, definitely during Eastern Time business hours, but we have uh, someone in our Stockholm office who's in there all the time as well and uh and so we have a really good spread on ours so you know you go in there and you we save you an hour uh once a month and hopefully it pays for pays for itself mm-hmm. i've i've i feel good about how we've been launching this mm-hmm. so we sort of rolled this out um slowly the goal was rather than like blast it out on all our sort of channels um to do it really quietly and, so- and gently at first yeah. So it just started off as sort of like a when you went to buy something on on our uh, learn site, uh, you would say, "Hey, by the way, you can do this if you want." And then after a couple of weeks of that, we're like, "Okay, we think the f- it's working well and people are liking it." So we we went a little more aggressive and changed the landing page on Learn, and now it sort of is the general pitch on that site. Yeah, and it stayed that way without us publicly announcing it, but really driving conversions to it mm-hmm. for a couple of weeks before publishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, officially launching it. And, you know, we needed to figure out what the offering was going to be. We needed to figure out 
uh, how it was like whether it was working and give us a chance to change it before we make a bunch of promises to people about what we were going to do mm-hmm. and then have to change it and disappoint a lot of people. Right. We also wanted to understand how people behave in it. Um, and so, you know, like we found that people sign up are really excited about the possibility of being able to take all the workshops. And so they sign up for all of them in the first Immediately, month. Yeah. yeah. And it has nothing to do with the revenue that we might lose from that. If they take all the workshops, it has everything to do with the fact that if you're taking three month long workshops that are taking up your time and are, you're really supposed to be learning from them, you're not going to be learning. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, um, what we're doing is, uh, um, what I've been doing during this period where we didn't have any sort of limit on that is contacting people individually and talking to them about what level they're currently at and uh, recommending what courses and what um, path they take through the courses. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really great because it gives us an opportunity to, to, to talk to them and, sh- and show that you know we really want them to succeed Here's the path which I think will lead you to the best success. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so we've been talking about some sort of limiter on there, like okay, you can you can take as many workshops as you like, but only you know one at a time, right. and really because we want to defend the quality of those workshops, right? And like you said, if the, if for instance, if you just skip out on an office hours, the teacher has no idea how you're doing, and if you're supposed to go to a bunch of office hours at the same time, it's like. It's just we can't we want we don't want to, to compromise the quality of the classes right um, because of the subscriber situation. yeah and that's actually a really good that's the some of the office hours do overlap and so I haven't even been making that argument to to people uh-huh. <laughs> it's just that it's just too much work but that's actually a really compelling argument that mm-hmm. the office hours actually overlap we should talk more yeah. <laughs> Um, so we've been doing sort of a high touch thing with the first people that have been signing up for us, which yeah. I think is, is really cool. Um, we've been sending them handwritten notes when they sign up and like you've been reaching out to them by email individually. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a really actually awesome aspect of doing this mm-hmm. soft launch is that we can do that. It's not too many people. Mm-hmm. Um, and through that we've discovered stuff because we are talking to people and we are seeing what they do. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm liking this model we have for this. I think, it, I think it's reusable. Yeah, I think so too. The the notes are nice when we're including some stickers along with that note, because you know. And what what I'm saying when I write the note is, you know, we're here to help you. You have to like you have to engage. You have to ask questions. You, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I'm hoping that getting a handwritten note from us saying like, "Don't hesitate to ask us questions" is going to help people get the most out of this. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty close to doing the full Big Bang launch on like mm-hmm. the blog and the Twitter and all that. Yeah, we have a couple more things that we, a couple features we want to get in there. Right. Was, in, in fact, by the time this airs, we hope to have done it. So all right, that's why it's a little awkward so to be talking about it beforehand. We're but, speaking to you from the past, yeah. and hopefully, in your reality, this has shipped and you've heard about it from the mountains. Right. Us calling about it from the mountaintops. Also, going back to the uh, the soft launch thing, when we the first couple of weeks when we launched, we were missing certain key features. One of which was canceling. Right. Um, so it was it was nice to be able to get it out the door and then sort of catch up mm-hmm. and say, okay, oh, we actually need to implement that and this. But for 0.1 to get it out, we can just sort of just punt on a bunch of these things. Yeah. Another nice advantage. So we've also had some changes to Apprentice.io. That's right. 
uh, it's focusing a little more on a different audience or a, a subset of an audience? Yeah, w- what we found with Apprentice.io is that um, it has one fundamental problem that uh, would require a lot of effort to solve, which is it doesn't scale very well. So it's a one-to-one mentorship program. Mm-hmm. We have one uh, apprentice, and we have one developer who they work very closely with, pairing or designer, um, pairing with, uh, and the mentor guides their learning. And so last year, the first full year of uh, Apprentice.io being an external program that we were sort of pitching as a thing in itself, we took 25 apprentices mm-hmm. about um and uh the apprenticeship lasts three months and so we had that's an enormous number we went from four to 20 um in boston mm-hmm. um so that that's a big number a uh, big increase uh but it doesn't really scale beyond that for us so we're now taking apprentices in um in san francisco and we're uh, about to take the first apprentices in Boulder hmm. and Stockholm. Um, but beyond that, you know, it's just a one-to-one thing. And if we want the program to be the most effective for the most amount of people, we really felt like it was time to figure out who exactly was uh, the best per- person to be in Apprentice.io. So when we first started, we were taking a lot of people who were almost entirely new to programming, but right. we felt that they had a lot of potential and they had demonstrated that they actually cared and had the passion to really excel. And so the program's really effective and it can take someone who's just getting started and in three months get them to, uh, if, they're, if they are really good, an intermediate Rails developer level. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a lot of beginners. There are a lot of passionate people out there. And... Um, that's not necessarily uh, a market that we can continually serve over and over and over again. And the people coming out of it aren't necessarily the people that we would hire because we only hire more experienced developers. Mm-hmm. And so, um, oh, and it's also worth, worth noting that there's, there are lots of good programs out there for beginners. Totally. Um, some that they have to pay for, some that they don't. Um, both online things, but also in-person things like Dev Bootcamp and the Starter League and those kinds of things. And I'm not convinced that uh, beginners can't get almost just as much of an effective uh, boost in their learning from a more classroom-based environment than the apprenticeship model, Mm. just because they have so much to learn Mm -hmm. that even in a more classroom-based environment, which these programs are, Mm I think they're still really effective and that's what we're seeing. So in San Francisco, we have several of the apprentices there graduated from dev bootcamp. So they got started at pretty much zero, went through dev bootcamp, then came to apprentice IO as an intermediate developer or what dev bootcamp calls a world-class beginner. (laughs) That's a nice phrase. Yeah. And then we brought them through apprentice IO and then we hired them. So we were able to get them, from uh, a point that really made sense for ThoughtBot mm-hmm. and get them to the point. So that's what, how we focus the program. Now entering 2013, um, and we've recently made some subtle changes to the website to make it more clear 
who we're targeting, that we're targeting people who really are intermediate developers already. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you have to be, uh, and have experience with rails Mm -hmm. already. And and one of the nice things is we're now able, so we've been building out this learn site with a a bunch of educational content. And now we have somewhere to point people that we think are a little too green that can actually get some learning done and, and help them bring themselves up to speed. Right. So when we reject, we've always, when we rejected people from Apprentice.io, we always reply to everyone with a response about why and what we thought that they could do to reapply in the future. Mm. And now as part of that, we're um, able to say, you know, instead, you're not quite ready for Apprentice.io yet. Here is what we think you would need to do. We now have for $99 a month, uh, which is really low cost compared to a lot of the other programs. Mm -hmm. You can take our workshops and you can uh, progress to the point where you might be uh, more eligible for Apprentice IL. It's interesting to me that we provide that feedback of why we didn't accept people. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a bit of like a legal landmine, potentially. A lot of companies won't tell you why they won't hire you. Right. I thought it was important for Apprentice IO that people who are applying um, get specific feedback. Mm-hmm. And it's fine as long as it's true from a technical perspective mm-hmm. so you know we're reviewing their code and their application and we're saying that we're, you're not a right fit for the program at this time but here are the things that we think you could do that would uh, and it's mostly for most people at this point um it's you need to learn rails <laughs> you need to you know you need to show us code that demonstrates that you have a certain skill level with rails and the code that we looked at doesn't do that mm-hmm it's it's interesting to me as well what a um how much of sort of like a farm team apprentice io has become like mm-hmm. we've hired a lot of our apprentices yeah and i feel like in the beginning the vision was like oh we'll sort of um help other companies hire these people and maybe get some commission or something like that right but it became it's become a lot more uh of a recruiting like a slower recruiting tool for us yeah a really important one and it it wasn't the intention but as we've talked about before we made the decision to grow last year mm-hmm. and so it was actually really well timed because we really wouldn't have been able to add the people the number of people to the team had we not had training as a fundamental part of our hiring process mm. through apprentice io yeah it's it's interesting that you say that i we you and i were talking yesterday about uh jokingly but sort of kind of only half jokingly about how we need to rent out the floor beneath us as like a recording studio kind of thing right and it's it 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 honestly feels like we're becoming more and more of a training and publishing company like that arm is getting larger and stronger yeah uh, you know realistically it's actually it is but the rest of our business is also growing (laughs) yeah so as a proportion (laughs) yeah and and actually the 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 consulting business is growing faster than the education business at this point. Well, we'll catch them. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start sabotaging all that client changed. projects. Yeah, all that has changed with Prime. Yeah, right. We'll see. We have a, this little graph uh, or this dashboard in the office of like the all the stuff that's been selling on Learn. And there's this tiny little sliver for Prime, and it's slowly growing. Yeah. Every time I look, it's a little bigger. So yeah. that's exciting. Yeah. Feels good. Yeah, what else is new? What else is in the the distant future? So another change that we've made with Apprentice.io is that we're no longer um, explicitly uh, taking employers onto the website Mm. and um, getting them to promise to pay us a placement fee. 
Mm. So, and the reason why is we just weren't serving that market well. Uh, we we were hiring a, a significant portion of the apprentices coming out of the program, and and it wasn't even the major, majority. So we we more apprentices left Thapa and went to get other jobs than we hired, but almost none of them ended up at the at the employers who had agreed to pay a placement fee. Hmm. And that's because we didn't really care about that. What we cared about, what our primary motivating factor or outcome that we wanted was, was to get them a great job mm. at a place that they love to work. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, when it came time to make introductions and do, do those things, not only were we just talking to everyone we could possibly think might be a good fit, but they were also going out on their own and trying to find a job. Mm-hmm. And so rather than doing something half-ass, uh, we just don't want to do it at all. We just had the whole asset. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we've removed the apprentice, the, the employers from the website, um, and we're setting the expectation that any apprentices that we don't hire will still help find a job, but there's no placement fees anymore um, because we just weren't we just weren't getting them. And the other thing is, is I I don't like I don't like working uh, hard at things that I am not truly convinced of yeah and so um when employers would put up uh resistance to a placement fee uh i just wasn't passionate about trying to convince them otherwise um right it's not what our business is yeah it's tough to sell something that you don't actually think is super great right yeah Yeah. because i didn't actually what i cared about was getting them a great job right i didn't really care about the placement fee because especially since we had historical precedence that it wasn't significant for our business. Yeah. It had it started to be significant and employers really latched on to it. I might be singing a different tune. Yeah. I, I take it as a good sign though. Like I like that we have a bit of moral scruples around that <laughs> yeah. as opposed to just like, this might make more money. Let's do it. Right. I think there are actually a lot of, a, a fair number of decisions we make that are not, they're like that. Right. Like the investment time on Fridays. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, if we build five days a week of consulting, we'd make more money. Right. At least in the short term, but it's, we believe in this model and that it's worth doing. And so even though it costs something, we do it anyway. Yep. I think that wraps things up, Chad. I think maybe we should get back to work. (laughs) Do you mean this isn't work? (laughs) It's work for some people. (laughs) Yeah. This is my playtime. Uh, what episode number is this? This is episode 41. 41. So, if you would like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash podcast slash 41. Today's podcast would have been recorded by Anna Mariola. However, I guess you recorded it. Right. So it's been recorded by Chad Pytel, produced by Chad Pytel, and edited. Yeah, see, that's lame. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah, just say... Today's podcast <laughs> was recorded by Anna Mariola. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that either. Just say... Just say... I'm Ben Ornstein. <laughs> this was giant robots smashing another giant robot. Yeah, you think we should change the sign-off? No, yeah. Well, it's just that when I'm the one being listed for every single position, <laughs> you feel like it, was it like uh, I don't know. I feel like Mel Brooks or something like that. Okay. <laughs> Today's podcast had involvement from a number of people. Our team consists of Anna Mariola, Editor Lovrall, and Chad Pytel, and myself. Ben Ornstein, thanks so much for listening. Thank you.
Thank you.